Welcome to KD Conversations, the Kinea Dufour podcast, where we discuss design trends, design methodologies, and explore with our guests how together we can design a better world. And that's the subject of this podcast, recorded live at the Global Innovation Forum in London on the 21st of November, during a panel discussion led by KD Chief Exec, Mel Hall. The audio at the start is a little bit shaky, but resolves itself after a minute or so. We hope it's not too distracting. Enjoy. My name is Merle Hall. I'm CEO of Kinea 4 or KD, as we, um, we call it, or our friends do, because nobody can spell it or pronounce it. <laughs> and um, we are joined this afternoon by a fantastic panel, so thank you all for, for being here today. I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves. And um, hopefully Craig will explain a little bit uh, around the Designing a Better World theme for this afternoon's conversation as well. So I'll start with Caroline. Hello. Oops. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Um, my name is Caroline Hargrove. I'm CTO of Babylon Health. I don't know if you heard of us, but you might have. We do GP at hand in the UK. Um, and before that, I was CTO at McLaren Applied Technologies. I worked in Formula One for a lot of my career, um, but moved to healthcare a year ago. Hi, I'm Sophie Balaszewski, um, and a little bit like your company, Merle, I've always been known as Sophie B, because no one can say my last name. Um, I head up um, people in capability transformation at Lloyd's Banking Group, um, but when I joined five years ago, I was also part of the team that set up the first digital innovation lab. Uh, hi, I'm Craig Whiteman, I'm Chief Design Officer at KD. Um, so I, I head up all the expertise teams, which ranges from um, from innovation and insight through design and engineering. Um, and uh, we, we work with a range of clients uh, in, in healthcare, uh, industrial and consumer sectors. Hi, my name's Sophie. Um, I'm Director of Relationships at RNIB, which is the Royal National Institute of Blind People. Um, being Relationships Director does not mean that I run a dating agency. Um, I run all of our uh, marketing and fundraising. Um, prior to that, I worked at Canal and River Trust doing a similar role. Um, and before that, most of my career was in the private sector. Um, I met Merle when I was a global category director at Coke for the water business. And we ran a very large project looking at sustainable uh, water delivery and sustainable packaging. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks for the little plug there as well. It was a great project. Um, go and see Sophie after if you'd like a testimonial. Um, but that's not what we're here today to talk about. So, Designing a better world. Um, I'd like to ask you all what that means to you, and I'd like to start with Craig because I think he can frame it from a KD perspective. Okay, it's um, uh, we can't own the on the term really, but um, it, it was um, something that we coined um, a couple of years ago, which was really around defining the purpose of of our organisation, um, and we, we we went we did a sort of um, reason. Simon Sinek sort of the, the start with why piece and, and tried to understand of the work that we did, what it was that most motivated our team in, in the activities that we did. Um, and it was really about having, um, uh, I mean, many designers have this objective really, is to create some positive impact in the work that they do. Um, and that was genuinely deep rooted in, in what people felt. And so we, um, uh, we tried to define that a bit more about what that, what that would um, how that would communicate itself. Um, and we started talking to our clients uh, and leading with that, um, that, that message. 
and found it resonated tremendously strongly. Now, I don't know whether that was just because we started doing it a couple of years ago and, and, um, uh, and maybe if you'd started doing that 10 years ago, it would have it resonated. Uh, but I've got a feeling that it's it started to resonate more recently particularly. Um, and, and so for us, it's, it's about working on projects that have a, a positive impact, whether that's very directly in areas such as healthcare or whether it's in, in areas such as sustainability. And those are some of the, the topics that, that come up um, now. But just generally, it's often about finding a purpose in, in what we do, and even if it's a small one. Um, and even if it includes things that are not, not quite as noble as others. Um, uh, and you know, I, I was very struck by, um, as I'm sure we all were, in different ways by Mr. Bingo this morning. And my big takeout from that was the bit, don't forget to have fun. Um, because sometimes the designing a better world can manifest itself in just creating a bit of joy and delight uh, in, in, in someone's life as a result of what, what we do. Um, and uh, a phrase we often use is that uh, as we work on a lot of projects that have particular um, noble purpose is that, uh, and they're often quite serious projects, is that we often say you don't need to be serious to do serious stuff. Uh, and I think that, that's, I always think that's important that uh, amongst that, that we, we, we don't forget to have fun in what we do. Thanks, Craig. I'm gonna I'm going to call Sophie C and Sophie B, so we just avoid confusion. Sophie C. Okay, so designing a better world for me, um, I guess I first started thinking about that when my son was about, oh, two and a half, and he was diagnosed with autism. And from that point, it was, became very personally important to me that the world was a better place for him. Um, so I did a lot of work around campaigning, um, setting up a National Autistic Society branch. I'm still a trustee there. But what that led to was, for me, a valuing of diversity and inclusivity. Um, and I think there is a lot in my current role um, with RNIB where if you look at diversity, you get to a better world. So there's something about the way blind and partially sighted people see the world. Um, they're incredibly resilient the sort of life hacks that exist in that, in that community are incredible. If we could uh, bring that insight and lived experience into how we design things, then the world would, would be a better place. In the world of autism, a lot of employers are now recognizing the unique skills and capabilities that some autistic people bring to the workplace. So my, my desire for a better world springs out of a real passionate commitment to valuing diversity and inclusion. As I went on and worked through my work at Coke and with Canal and River Trust, in that sort of sense of a, a deep passion around um, diversity inclusion developed into something around sustainability. So fine, we can be diverse, we can be inclusive, but actually whatever we need to do needs to be sustainable um, and, and leave the world a better place um, than, than we found it. So that's me. Thank you, Sophie. Caroline. Um, so just, just to put it out there, uh, working in Formula One doesn't make a design a better, a better world. Um, I did it and then started feeling quite guilty that it's good fun from an engineering perspective. It's, it's great fun, you know, um, but it's, it's not having an impact and I wanted to do that. Um, so we started an applied technology company and I, I worked there where we started applying some of the Formula One technology to other things, including medical. And I really... That, that really sparked me when well, we worked on, on many things, but I thought on the medical side um, was, it was something I felt was much more worthwhile. So um, when I moved to Babylon, Babylon, the idea is that there's more people in the world 
currently who have a mobile phone and have access to healthcare. So our mission is to provide affordable and accessible healthcare to everybody. But primarily, we start with mobile phones. So I know you might have heard a lot of publicity, you may not, about Babylon in the UK, but we're much bigger outside the UK. For example, in Rwanda, we do 3,000 consultation every day. Because in Rwanda, there's very, very few doctors. There's 1,200 doctors in a population of 22 million. So if you really want to have an impact, you, you have to add you know, AI in there. You have to be able to multiply the use of a doctor via, it's much more like a call center in there. It's, they don't have a, um, a smartphone, it's a feature phone, but the point is that they can access via this to someone who will give them advice and care and potentially even prescription via their phone. They go to the local health center. We're trying to make it so that, you know, these people, if otherwise will normally wait all day, will walk a long way, wait all day. And it's mainly women, because women look after the health care of their family, most of them. So they will take time off, they're not paid, they will go wait all day and they may not see a doctor. So the idea is to try to give access to, to at least the, the primary care. So a, a, a triage, make sure that things that if you need to be able to be seen further, if you need a, a, um, some sort of a, um, uh, a test or something, if that can be done before you actually see a doctor. So we, we really want to try to do as many things as possible to, to bring the cost of hair care down. So that's kind of my journey. Thank you, Caroline. Sophie B. Yeah, so actually mine's quite similar to Sophie C. Um, in that for me, I was really thinking about this question of designing a better world. And I was thinking actually, for me, I think it's more about designing a more inclusive world. And there's something that I've done over the last sort of 10 years is look at actually how can we increase, for example, the number of women in, in tech roles. Um, and the reason that's important is because we all use technology and it's becoming more and more pervasive in our day-to-day -day lives. We rely on it to, to live, to work, um, you know, to run our families. Um, but actually, you need to think about who are the architects of the design. And if the architects of the design in the future if we're not looking at an inclusive community of people that are doing that, I don't see how we're going to create a world that is inclusive of everyone. And in order to move things along and to improve things and to be better, we are going to have to include everyone, especially when you think about technology and that there are some people that are huge beneficiaries of technology, but there are also some people who are left behind. And so in order to make sure that we are bringing everybody along with us, we're going to have to be much more inclusive. And for me, it's about how to ensure that those decision makers um, represent the people that they serve, whether that's in organizations on boards or whether it's in governments. It's going to be really important to bring about an equality and a change in the future. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting bearing in mind the theme this year of the Global Innovation Forum around Don't Be Evil. We're hearing and we're seeing more on the subject than we ever have historically. I'm just interested in opinion as to why, why you think that is, Sophie. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at a trend at the moment, which is, well, you know, probably over the last sort of five to 10 years, companies are now doing things that are based on user feedback and user experience, and they are listening a lot more. So it used to be that someone would come up and, with an idea, I've got this great new product, okay, I think people are gonna love it, I'm gonna build it, I'm gonna shift it out to them all. 
Um, we're in a different era now where people are designing things that they're iterating them as they go along and they're really listening to the consumer. So the reason I think it's so important is because it's important to customers. Um, one of the things that we've been looking at is actually how do you, you know, how do you attract the brightest people, the most talented people to come and work in your organization? And those people want to work for brands that are relevant. So they want brands that share the same ideals and the same purpose of them. But they also want an organization that is creating value for them. And so I think because we are listening more to what people want and because of social media um, and people um, respect their, their friends and their family's opinions over a brand's view, what it's pushing out, you know, we're seeing a change for the better because people are listening more. Definitely. Sophie C. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think there's a, there's a two-track thing. There is this idea of being more listening, understanding consumer value, and how brands can work with that. I think there's a continuing pressure for uh, commercial organisations to be showing a return. Um, and I think you know, there's quite a lot of evidence around gender diversity and companies with gender diverse workforce and boards um, develop greater returns. There is increasing evidence um, around disability diversity. The evidence isn't as much. Um, but I think that you know, there is a lot of interest now in how do you deliver returns in a way that feels right, that feels ethical. And one of, one of the drivers of that is diversity. You know, you get better decisions, you get, get product design if you include more people in, in, a, in, a, in the right way and at the right stages. Is there anything you'd like to add, Caroline? been quite well answered that question hasn't it yeah I think we'll, we'll move on to the next which is really around understanding so we've talked a bit about the why but I'd be really interested to hear from the panel as to the how because it's quite useful I think particularly with everyone in the room today to understand how businesses are starting to action this and actually do it in an authentic way as well because there will always be people ready to comment if that's not the case yeah, I can answer that one. <laughs> we get a lot of people complaining that we're going to kill the NHS. Um, one of the reasons that we're in the NHS and we want to show that we can do end-to-end -end care at an affordable way at the standards that are here in the UK and in Europe. Um, even though a lot of our work is done outside the UK where there's really no access. Here you have the option. We are lucky. We have the option to go see a doctor. A lot of other places don't, and, and, or certainly not, not easily. And so it is very important that we build to a high standard, that we're not going, you know, we, we don't want to be offering a product in, in um, Southeast Asia that um, is not of, of a standard that we would be proud of here. A lot of things with health is that the regulations for something that is AI-based mainly, even though you know, we have doctors as well, um, is, is brand new. And we spend a lot of time constantly talking to regulators everywhere. And it's really important that we bring regulators along. If we really want to disrupt and make change, it's not something that we'll just do and hope for the best. We talk to regulators almost daily. We always try to see what do we do to, to show our performance and how we do things. And we're definitely talking to our customers. And it, that varies enormously how you interact even with an app for health um, depending on where you live in the world. Um, it, it's really, really different. And if we don't capture the local differences as well as um, how people, it, different people will trust and 
AI um, in, in your phone very differently. You wouldn't think your phone should diagnose you with cancer. Right? It, it shouldn't. Your phone cannot die. I'm telling you, it can't. Right? What it can tell you, though, is you may be at quite high risk of something that is serious, including cancer, and you should go and get it checked out. That is something that it can tell you based on asking you some, your symptoms, your risk factor, and based on the population level and so on. So there's quite a lot that we can do, um, but we do have to work with the people very well. But there's a lot of work to then gain the trust and work with regulators and, and, and the, um, and I'd say the, the, the different, you know, often the governments or, or the, the people who will pay for that healthcare. Sophie. Yeah, I think um, for organisations to... Um, well, I don't think it's about organisations being authentic. You, you have to be authentic because the way things are at the moment, it's easy to find out whether or not someone is just paying lip service. And I think they were talking about it being greenwash earlier. Mm. Um, but I think for an organisation, it's about linking your the purpose of your organisation to the designing a better world element. So... You know, at Lloyd's Banking Group, it's about actually how do we um, help people with their digital skills, for example, and we've helped 700,000 people. How can we su support small businesses? We've made public commitments about the, in the um, inclusivity of our boards and the number of women we want in senior roles. Um, I think to be authentic, you really have to link it back to your purpose of your organisation. If you then went out and did something totally different, um, it then can look a bit unauthentic, and it's really about making sure that you're making that link um, and sometimes I think um, less is more. So maybe concentrating on one or two big things that are very relevant to your brand rather than doing sort of small little bits here and there that aren't adding up to as big an impact as if you were just focused on one core issue. Yeah, yeah I think that's very true. Craig, in terms of the clients that you're working with, have you seen any, any good examples of how this has been actioned? Um, I think the, uh, to your point, Sophie, I think the, uh, there is much more... Um, willingness to commit to designing with end users in mind um, and I think that that has changed um, and I think it's um, when you can link so there's a kind of holy trinity here between the, the creative teams um, the, the the business stakeholders and the end users and I think if you, you can get them working together very effectively and we've seen great examples of that and I think it stems from the end user so um, a, a couple of examples uh, I, I can cite both in, in healthcare as it happens. So one, one within um, diabetes care, we're developing uh, some um, software for diabetes management, um, and and uh, researching that with end users and, and having. So it's one example that we had that's very had a very powerful effect on the clients that were in that session as well as our, our design team. Um, was um, a person with diabetes who'd uh, travelled 60 miles to come to. Uh, a research session, and, and she probably got, I don't know, 50, 60 pounds for, for that participation. It probably cost some more of that to travel. She did it because she'd been, she had a really troubled time as a, as a um, person with diabetes as a teenager, had come through that, and wanted to give something back. And I think the, the learning from that, beyond what we were finding out in that research session, was very powerful because it linked very much with the purpose of what we were doing. Um, and then in fact, just last week, uh, we, we did a, a study in another area of healthcare uh, and had a, a patient that we'd interviewed a few um, months previously to get some insight work. We wanted to test some concepts. Um, and we went back to the same, uh, same people 
Uh, and this, this chap had um, terminal cancer. He'd had some bad news in the, in the last few weeks, but he still was committed to this study because he wanted to contribute to that. And I think when you've got people like that, it's infectious. And in fact, most of the people in our design team and most of the people in, in that case in the client team are, are equally driven uh, to, to, to achieve the, the benefit of that. And I know that the, in both of those cases, the results we'll get from those projects will be massively enhanced by the, uh, the power of that purpose that, that stems from the end users we're designing for and translated by the, the innovators and engineers uh, that help create the solution. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting how this has always really been at the core of third sector. And we're seeing all of businesses start to adapt and start to kind of be much more driven by this purposeful approach. So how has that impacted on third sector? So I think it's interesting for charities are sort of archetypally purpose-driven organisations. Um, and so to some extent, the authenticity question is just part of the DNA of, of, a, of a third sector organisation. I mean, at RNIB, we changed our name to be um, the Royal National Institute of Blind People rather than for blind people for that very um, reason. We've also always had a big uh, commitment to the third sector jargon co-production, which is basically creating things with end users. Yeah, But I think as the commercial world has seen the benefits of being purpose-driven, it has made charities think. And, you know, as someone who's worked, well, in all, all sectors, actually, because I've worked in the public sector as well, um, what I would say about the third sector is it is not necessarily as efficient. The way in which resources are used, um, you know, quite often the... Um, uh, just in terms of infrastructure and keeping up to date and you know, having the most efficient and effective operating systems, that's quite challenging for, for charities. So I think the response from the third sector to the changing kind of desire of commercial organisations to do good has been partly to restate their purpose, their mission, why they're there, but also to start learning from the commercial sector. And I think both sectors can learn from each other. I think there's something that commercial organisations can take from charities about you know, how you translate that passion for a cause into outputs. And I think there's something that the third sector can learn from commercial organisations about how you do that in an efficient and effective way. And you know, for, for charities, actually, there is a, there's an even higher... Um, moral mandate to spend their money well because that money is gifted to them as opposed to, to earned. Thank you. I think, I mean, we've touched on this a little bit already, Caroline, but obviously technology now has been, you know, this catalyst that we've seen start to change and start to open up so many opportunities in terms of digitization and beyond. How, um, what do you think from sort of your experiences, particularly in the last year, are the biggest opportunities and challenges of that? Yeah, as I said, one of the, one of, I'll start with a challenge. To me, one of the challenges is actually to, um, to develop at a rate that people will, will trust you. So I've mentioned it before, and it's just so important that we, we nail this. It, it, we, I mentioned at lunchtime uh, tomorrow that we, in the press recently that our app, if you're a woman and you put your symptoms to, for my, what might be uh, palpitations and so on, you are less likely to have a heart attack for the same age group in the, in the 40s than a man with the same symptom. And we were completely, my goodness, we got so much bad press for that. 
but actually, we, our doctors, mainly women, looked at this and said that, but that is true. You know, we women are you know, f physiologically different than men, and in that age group, the with those particular symptoms, your chances that that is actually a heart attack are less for men, uh, less for women than they are for men in this particular case. And it's it's interesting, but but that became a really emotional thing. Oh my goodness, your AI is gender biased. Well. They, that AI has got to be biased in different ways. In, not biased, it's different, because women are different to men, right? So we're, we're, it's, I'm not saying we got it right, clearly, or, or the way we have to, to say it is different, but there's a lot of learning. We keep hitting these. So it, it is something that, uh, unless we work very well with, with the public and so on, it, it's... And we do, we, we listen, we, we get a lot of comments, we take it in and we change, we change how we express ourselves, we, ex we change how we, we provide information, we, put, we, we participate in forums and so on. Because if we don't get people on board, it's not gonna happen. People will not wanna use it. But, but at the same time, on the flip side, is we can't afford not to have that kind of technology, whether it's us or someone else, some company will succeed in this because we can't afford healthcare as it is right now. It's just so expensive. So it is, there's a balance there and it, it's gonna take us a little while to, to, um, to get it right and get the trust of people and, and the companies who will do that will succeed. Those challenges are also the same opportunities. Completely, <laughs> yeah. completely. It, it is, there is, in the US, the, the market that we wanna address is Medicaid. Medicaid market there is really harsh. You know, you, most, most people there are not, the doctors, even though you'll get paid if you see a Medicaid patient, they don't want to see them because they take a long time to be, to be paid back by the state and they don't, get, they don't pay very much, so they try to avoid seeing them. So that, that's kind of, it's just, you know, it's, it's the US. You, know, you think, wow, you know, they, they have the best doctors in the world and they have people who just fall through the net and just don't get access to care. But there's an opportunity here to make a big difference. But if we'll only succeed if we manage to do this at a, at, in a way that we manage costs, and, but someone will. And it, it will be, you know, it, we have to, we're not third sector, we have to, do, to offer a service that Somehow we, we you know Has makes us money. Case. You know we need to yeah. be able to survive and yeah. and invest and invest in other <coughs> technology. And it's a difficult one when it's in health. I'm realizing because then people think, well, it's like we should be able to do this, <coughs> but actually not make any money. Well, if we don't make money, we won't stay in business. So there, you know it's a fine line. We're not there to to make tons of money, but we want to have sustainable services, and that in, involve actually being positive revenue and and so. It has to be something that, that people are willing to pay for, somebody willing to pay for, and at a quality that people are willing to pay for. But it's, it's a great opportunity for us to design something good. Yeah, absolutely. And from a, from a financial services perspective? Yeah, I think in terms of technology, the, you know, the opportunities are, are, are endless, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking here about how can you use your mobile phone to help you diagnose something that might be wrong with you? How do you get care quicker? Um, you know, for us, it's about actually how can you use technology to make sure that you offer, for example, an inclusive um, offering for people, making sure that those that are unbanked, for example, are included when you're thinking about financial services. I think the challenge, um, and I know I'm going to refer back to what I said at the beginning, is about making sure that you're inclusive about things and it's not always about, you know, sh you know could we do this? It might be more 
towards should we should we do this? Is this the right thing to do? Are we being inclusive in our thought process? Um, but uh, you know, the opportunities are endless. Um, it's just what we, all of us, decide to do with it. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to just ask one more question and then throw open to, to the audience because I'm sure there's some questions. So just to finish, um, and in a, in a, we'll just give you a minute each. Ah, scary. Um, could you give us a prediction or some kind of change that you think is really going to, to sort of design a better world and create some positive impact in the next, next three years? That's a big question, isn't it, to end on? Um, Craig, let's go to you. Okay, well, um, sorry, I might steal yours a bit, Caroline, <laughs> but um, on, only in that, um, uh, so there's, there was a, there's a great quote from John Scully, the former Apple CEO, um, who's invested a lot in, in health tech in particular, and who talked about healthcare being the last industry really to benefit from, from the, the, the uptake in technology. And I think um, it's interesting to, to see that you know, a lot of what you talk about, Caroline, in your role at, at Babylon is about the uh, the social acceptance and um, you know fitting within systems and that, I think that's probably why um, but I think you know for for me um, you know having worked within healthcare um, and technology for for a long time that's that's the bit that's been waiting waiting to happen so I think I I, I love what Babylon are doing I think it's fascinating um, and I think that that's what I'd really like to see come to fruition is not just you, but you know others. Others doing that sort of work to really using technology to um, drive completely new new systems and empowerment for people within healthcare. Safety. So I think in my world there's a kind of mainstreaming thing going on. So if I look at the way that technology has enabled blind and partially sighted people to live um, a much more sort of have an equal experience in the world, then you know things like Uber. Alexa have radically transformed that. Um, and so certainly for, the, the, for blind and partially sighted people, that technology transformation is actually putting um, life on a, a, an even footing with everybody else. And I think as a lot of uh, new technology comes forward, the idea that actually that can be driven by looking at how you include people means that commercial organisations will add value to their offering. And actually, the concept of designing with um, groups of people who have additional challenges in mind actually will give better design, more inclusive design, and actually will drive better returns for commercial organisations. Thank you, Sophie. Caroline? Uh, I think the, what I want uh, to say on this one is the fact that um, I don't think in healthcare... There's a lot of statistics that will show that we, those, we gain a lot um, in terms of getting better by having human contact. We don't want to, technology will not replace that. What we want to do, certainly at Babylon, is to, to actually almost triage the people who really need that to, to get it, and those that, that can actually just be reassured and, and, and monitored in a way that that makes that contact even more precious because that's what humans are really good at, to reassure, to give confidence, to, to give you the sense of that how things should do. We shouldn't be afraid that technology might enhance our doctors, though. And, you know, this is something that I find it's... Doctors don't like to say that they might know everything, not know everything, I should say, because for us, it's good that we go to a doctor and we want 100% trust in them, and I get that, but they're humans, right? 
we're all humans and we, we're not perfect. And the AI is not perfect either. But the two together is better. And we just got to un understand that that's, what, that's how we've got to go forward, I think. Sophie. I'm going to go for not what I think will happen, but what I'd like to happen. And it might happen, hopefully it will. Um, for me, I'd, I'd like to see um, you know, a bit of a workforce revolution so that we make it much more inclusive for people. So there's a great report um, by Digital Mums called Flexible Working and Work That Works. And actually, the amount of money that we lose to the economy because we still have these job roles that we've been using for like 50 years and these hierarchical structures we've used for 50 years. How can we kind of revolutionize the way that we advertise um, our jobs, how we package them up? How can we use technology so that people can work from wherever they want to so that we enable people to come and work for you know, great organizations? That's what, I, that's what I'd like to see. That's a great point to finish on. We've got time for a couple of questions. Yeah, so, yeah. Has anyone got a question? I should just mention before, actually, we are recording this for, um, we at KD do a podcast called KD Conversations. So if you don't want your question um, going on a podcast, um, please don't ask one. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo's gone. So um, we're going on our first date tonight. Yeah, well, you yeah. quite like it. Yeah. So um, has anyone got any questions for our panel? Yes, we've got one at the front here. Got, can we get you a box? So, um, Let's Sorry, just here. Thank you. Um, the question is, uh, when we say a, a better world, that's very subjective, right? Better for whom? Um, and and uh, in, in the design realm, um, how do you design for, you know, uh, to mitigate unintentional consequences? Um, that's a good question. I think, so we talk about it in terms of actually, well, Craig can answer some of this as well. We talk about it in, in, terms, of, in terms of positive impact, and then we use a, a positive impact scale, so which um, there's a positive impact management scale, which I think, you know, you're nodding, you've probably seen it as well in terms of, um, so there's, there's, I think there's five or six criteria that sit across that. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting, if you Google, um, positive impact sort of uh, project um, reviewing. It's it's quite an all encompassing, and it's actually being used across lots of different industries now. So there's a, an interesting um, positive impact investment fund, for example, called Bridges that that use it as well. So it's a it's a good it's a good guide as a as a sort of baseline for for you know getting some of that thinking in the right space. Craig. But it, I mean, it's not it's you know it's not easy, um, and I think you know you it's not about putting any of us on a, on a pedestal, you know, I think it's more about asking the right questions, you know, so I think it, it's, um, you know, we often um, uh, on a project say, is, is this designing a better world? It's a bit of a big, vague statement, but it does force you to think about things in, in that way, and it might say, well, you, know, you might start to get into the complexity of, of, of what you're doing, um, you know, and it's not as if we, you know, we don't like score things as we as we go along, but it is about thinking it in that way. Not you know having having a purpose in mind broadly, but also in relation to a specific project, um, and you know being feeling empowered to question that sometimes with clients and 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 force them to think about things in a, in a different way too. And it's often easier to define what's not designing a better world than what is designing a better world. I so. think what's interesting, a lot, a lot of charities use what's called theory of change, which is basically a model where you think about your end impact and then you chain backwards. What do you need to make that impact? What would you need to make that those outcomes? So you chain all the way back. 
Um, and one of the things that does is it encourages you to think systemically because you're right, you can always have unintended consequences. I'm not sure there's a, a foolproof way of doing it, but that kind of systemic way of looking at it means that you, you would capture all the associated outcomes of what you're doing, and then you can look at the trade-offs. Being able to pivot quickly as well. You, know, <laughs> you think, oh, <laughs> didn't realize this was going to have this impact. Yeah. One more. Final question. Yep. At the end. Hi. <coughs> Question to Caroline. You mentioned the fact that different areas or different regions of the globe have different kind of behaviors, and you should tailor your product to meet those needs. Can you give some examples of how Babylon identified different behaviors in different geographical regions and tailored your product to meet those needs? Yeah, uh, one example that comes springs to mind immediately when you say that, that as that question, is um, we've developed uh, a, a, our app for um, the a market in the Middle East, and we were asked that we can't ask any questions on anything to do with alcohol, drugs, and anything to do with sexual behavior. Now, obviously, it's a medical app, so it's pretty hard to not do this, and there was a lot of very difficult conversation to be had and topics to avoid. And it's interesting because it's that's a perception from from governments in that region, their doctors didn't agree with that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we need to be very s careful about the, and the sen sensitive as to how we ask questions. So we had to change a lot of the way we ask questions. And also in, in a lot of these places, um, you, for women to get care, they have to have permission from their husband to be able to get care. So the app needs changing to be able to make this happen. So, you know, these are all things that we need to take into consideration, and that's just one country. But that's maybe the most different, but it's, it just gives you a flavor. Thank you, um, and I'd like to thank our panel again. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Katie Conversations. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We always value feedback and would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks.